Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. All right, friends, we are continuing our series in 2 Peter. If you have your Bible, so you can go ahead and pull them out. And, uh, you know, this week I was listening to a podcast with a scientist uh, who doesn't believe in Jesus. And uh, I, I genuinely hate it when people pit science and, and Jesus against each other because I don't think they have to be. I think like science is, is kind of explaining one side of what God did. And, and you can actually look at that and see a way to worship God greater. But this guy was uh, talking about Christianity and his problem with it was that Christians stopped asking questions. That Christians just told you what to believe and you're supposed to believe it and that was it. And uh, to an extent, I understand what he's saying. Like there's doctrine. But as a pastor and as theologians, you guys are theologians, you didn't know it, but you are. Uh, As you read your Bible, what you're supposed to do, I don't know why you're laughing, you guys are doctors in theology. Uh, You get to listen to me every week. No, just kidding. That was funny. Thank you for laughing back there. Uh, As you read the Bible, what you're actually supposed to do is treat it as a scientist treats the theories in the world. So a scientist doesn't actually see gravity. What a scientist does is he says, hey, there's something going on here, and I believe it's this thing called gravity. And then how we know the scientist is right is we start dropping stuff. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's right. Over time, it's reproducible. It shows us that this is actually true. It's practically true. And if a scientist, as they often do, have a theory that sounds really good on paper, but then we start practicing it and it's not reproducible, then the scientist has to throw that theory away. And as you read your Bible, this is how you're to read your Bible. You read it. You look at what Peter says and you say, Peter, this is what I think you're saying. And then you apply that theory to real life. You apply that theory to the rest of God's word. And if your theory doesn't hold up, you let go of the beliefs you once held really strongly and you come to a new belief as you look at the word of God. And so as we come into second Peter here today, I want to make this super practical for us. I want to I ask a lot of questions this week about what this actually means. Peter gives us this really long list of how we get from faith to love. And I think it's really practical. It's really important. But I want to jump into verses 1 through 5 first, which we preached last week. Um, because for the first three weeks of this series, I'm actually going to I'm gonna keep building upon where I started because Peter's kind of a rambler. You ever met a guy who couldn't get all of his sentence out and it's just like, okay, dude, where's the point of this thing? Uh, that would be our brother Peter. Uh, he, he puts this really long train of thought in this first chapter, and it's really hard for a guy like me to talk about it and not talk for three hours. So, for your sake, I broke it into three different sermons. Uh, but I got I to gotta recap just a little bit. So this is like if you watch Netflix, you know, they have the, the previously on this show, and they have that part. That's what we're doing right now. So, previously in Second Peter. Verse 1. Simon Peter, or Simeon Peter, however you want to say it. This is the same Peter that was an apostle of Jesus. This guy has seen a lot of stuff. And now he's at the end of his life. He's about to be, uh, we know, killed by Nero in the Roman Empire. It's about AD 64, 65. And Peter is trying to, one last time, get out these beliefs that he has. He's, he's worried about the church. And he's, uh, in First Peter, he writes about external threats, people outside the church that threaten the church. And here he's writing about internal threats, the threats inside of us and the threats inside of the church. It says, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A confidence equal to ours. How could my confidence in Jesus be as equal to Peter? And the reason we said last week was because it has nothing to do with Blake Farley. It has everything to do with what? Through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Because of what Jesus did, I have confidence. Because of what Jesus did, Peter had confidence. Because of what Jesus did, you had confidence. And that's really good news for some of you in here today who feel like you are too far from the grace of God. Like I've messed up over and over and over and over and over again. And I can't see a way that God would still love me. And I would say, friend, you can let go of the shame because God's not looking at you. He's looking at the righteousness of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. This is truly amazing stuff. We'll let it come into our hearts and we apply it to our lives. All right, verse two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And we talked about last week how that word knowledge is not like a knowledge that stays up here, but it's a knowledge that you practice. It's the difference in knowing a lot about a car and actually driving a car. Jesus is driving the car. You're experiencing it. You don't just know about it. You're, you're experiencing relationship with this guy named Jesus, and he transforms you. And when he does, what happens is grace, which is divine favor, and peace, which is peace of mind, shalom, wholeness, come to you in multiplied form. So you follow Jesus for a year, you get grace, and you get peace. But you never get to the bottom of Jesus. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, grace and peace, divine favor, peace of mind, they multiply to you as you follow this guy named Jesus, and you experience him at greater depths. Verse three, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises. Told you last week, those promises are the promises we build our church upon, which is that we can experience salvation. We can find peace. We can know purpose. And ultimately, we can live fulfilled. It says, by these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. And I told you last week, it doesn't say a corrupt world, it says the corruption in the world, which is a big difference. Because if you believe this place is inherently corrupt everywhere you go, you're going to live in a fear-based way, and that's really just not a very positive, healthy way to live. No, this is a world that God created. It was good when he created it, but there are corrupt parts to it. And what he says here, and this leads us into today, is the reason for the corruption in your life and the reason for the corruption that is in the world is because of what? It's because of evil desire. Or that you could translate that word evil to decayed desire. That our heart has been wounded by selfishness and sin in this world. And so our desires have decayed. They have, they have gone to bad desires. And people with bad, selfish desires make this world corrupt. And your own bad, selfish desires which are kind of actually uh, paradoxical because you think being selfish would help yourself, but being selfish actually hurts yourself. It leads to corruption in your life and it leads to corruption in the world. And what we're going to talk about today is Peter gives us the antidote, the cure to this. And the cure to this is to live by faith. And the opposite of faith is, you might say the opposite of faith is doubt, but actually it's not true. In the Bible, doubt actually strengthens your faith. Doubt can be a very, very good thing because as I doubt things, I, I lean into it and I figure out more. My faith is stronger because of doubt. The opposite of faith is actually fear. Fear is being uncertain of the future, uncertain of how things are going to turn out, dreadful about how things are going to turn out. And your brain and our world lives in a fear-based society. We are constantly inundated with messages of why you should be concerned about the future. You should have fear in your heart. And what I want to tell you is if you live by fear, it doesn't lead to healthy things in your life. If you live by faith, which is I'm confident that God loves me. I'm confident that God is working all things out to my good. I don't understand. My life looks like it's falling apart. But I have this internal confidence that it's going to work out for my good. That God knows what he's doing. If I live in that way, then Peter says the ultimate result is that I will live with love. 
And as we see this list of things Peter gives us here, it's actually not, you know, add this to your life, add this to your life, add this to your life. It's if you start with faith, these things just naturally begin to happen. They build upon each other and it culminates in love and a certain type of love, which I'm excited to talk about at the end of the list when we get there. And what I want to look at today is I want to look at what faith does, but then I also want to look at what fear does. And you can tell me, I'm testing my theory. This is a scientist does. You can tell me if you think this is true. If you think actually kind of the the pain and the suffering in your life and in the world is based upon faith versus fear, or if you think it's something else. And if I'm wrong, I'd love to hear from you. But I spent all week thinking about this, so I'm pretty confident. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, And then at the end, very shortly, I know you're like, this is going to be a three-hour sermon. It's not, I promise. Uh, At the end, uh, I'm going to talk about how we can build our faith. Because I'm just going to kind of give my theory, and then I'm going to talk about how we can actually build it. Let me pray. Father God, uh, thank you so much for these people. Thank you for everybody who is here today. And Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, God, thank you that um, Simon Peter sat down and shared these thoughts with us before he went to be with you. Uh, God, I believe they are divinely inspired. I believe that although they were written a very, very long time ago, they, they have great relevance for our lives and our world today. Jesus, I pray that you give me the words to say. I pray that anything I say that is true would be highlighted in the minds of these people. Anything I say that is false would be blown away like the chaff in the wind. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. All right, verse 5 says, For this very reason, because of everything I told you just a minute ago, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. So faith with goodness. That word goodness is the same word for virtue. And see, if you live in a faith-based way, if you live like Jesus is okay with you, you are good, you are loved by God, and it's all going to be okay in the end, then you can look at your problems and your trials in life as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to build your virtue. In fact, this is a very Christian idea. I want to read to you from uh, James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. James I was the leader of the early church. He's also the half-brother of Jesus. So if you think growing up with your sibling was hard, uh, think about James, right? Like he could never live up to his older brother. James, man, you guys must all be the older sibling who did everything right. (laughs) James chapter one, verse two, it said, consider it a great joy. Oh, what are we going to talk about, James? A great joy. Okay. My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, what James, (laughs) I think you meant great sorrow. And James says, no, 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 great joy. Why? Well, verse three says, because you know that the testing of your faith, your confidence produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. See, if if I believe this verse, if I believe that Jesus has good things for me, then when my life falls apart, when the doctor gives me a bad diagnosis, I don't have to be afraid of what is coming up. When I lose my job, I don't have to be afraid of what is coming up. I believe that there's a God in the universe who knew what was going to happen before it happened. And he's going to use this for my benefit, for my gain, so that I can come out a more virtuous person. A better person on the other side of this. A person who looks more like Jesus Christ on the other side of this. Which then naturally leads to knowledge. That word knowledge is is spiritual understanding. See, because if I look at my, my obstacles, not actually as an obstacle, but as an opportunity to grow and to be better, then I can set in the pain of it and I can seek God in it. God, what are you trying to teach me through this? God, I don't understand why I haven't had a job in six months. I don't understand why nobody will call me back. I don't understand why I have this disease, but help me understand it because I know you have to be doing something. 
See, if you believe this, you won't run from Christian community when your life falls apart. You'll run to Christian community. You'll run to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And you'll say, what do you guys see? What is God working out in my life? And as we begin to learn more about ourselves, we begin to learn more about God, and we begin to learn how we can actually move forward in life. See, this is, this is what happens. I, I gain knowledge about what's going on with me. I gain knowledge about the parts of me that aren't godly. I gain knowledge about why things are happening in the way they are in my life. And then I get a plan for how to actually move forward in my faith. This happens over and over again, which then leads to, Peter would say, self-control. You see, the reason you guys don't have self-control is because you don't have complete faith in what you're trying to fix and how you're trying to fix. It's kind of like a yo-yo dieting. I don't know if you guys know these people who's always on a diet. You might be those people, and I love you. Uh, but they're always on a diet, right? It's like, you know, and it's always the new diet. It's, you know, hey, there's this magic pill. I take this pill, and then I go for a walk, and then I drink vinegar juice. And I'm like, oh, geez, what a terrible life, you know? Uh, you know low carb, low fat, low protein, no food, avocado toast for breakfast. They're just constantly switching. And sometimes they lose weight, and then, and then you know, eventually they gain the weight back, and they're going back and forth and back and forth. And they, don't, they don't have self-control. And you know why they don't have self-control? It's because they're not certain of what they are doing. They're not certain it's going to work. See, if you knew for a fact that if you ate this diet, and I mean you believed it, not just here, but you believed it here, that this diet was going to make you healthy, you would stick to it even on the days where it was hard. You would keep doing it, which is what Peter says next. After self-control, it leads to endurance. Because for the Christian who has faith in Jesus Christ, they can begin to endure and walk in this and actually believe what Jesus says is true. It's why you can keep moving forward. Now, let's go back to the other side of this, which is the fear-based side, which is the side most of us live in. If you start with fear, uncertain about the future, maybe even dreadful about the future, it doesn't lead to virtue, it leads to vices. And here's why we turn to vices. We have so many vices. We have some vices that are respectable, nobody really cares about, you know, like, you're on Instagram all day, just numbing out, or, you know, you're on Facebook, you know, these are kind of respectable ones. It's like, okay, everybody does this. And then we have these other vices, which are, you know, like, you know, alcohol or drugs or uh, having affairs, all these other things. They're really all the same thing. They're really just trying to numb some deep pain that we have within us. Why? Because I'm not sure how the future is going to turn out and I can't handle this pain. I'm not sure if my marriage is going to work. I'm not sure about my health issues. I'm not sure if I'm going to get a job. And honestly, just sitting in this pain feels awful. So what am I going to do? I'm going to turn to something that will give me a sense of enjoyment for a quick minute. See, and that's actually, some people, they're like, how do people become alcoholics? Or how do people become drug addicts? And we should really be saying, how is everybody not a drug addict? Like, think about it. There's something that makes you feel really, really good for a while. What in the world about humans makes us not all want that? See, because if you don't have God in this world, if you don't have faith in this world, then you have no hope for the future. And so why not just take your enjoyment while you can get it? See, but when we live out of faith, this isn't the same because I do believe, I do believe that it's going to work out for my good. And so I can pursue virtue instead of vice. But see, then when I pursue vice, I never actually get knowledge, which is what Peter says, because I never actually learn about what's going on in my soul because I never stop and feel it for long enough. And you see, without knowledge, you become ignorant. And with ignorance, you have no power. Thomas Jefferson said, with knowledge comes power. Or if if you want to go Christian, John Calvin says that to know thyself is to know God. That the power of knowing what's going on is the power to actually transform you into godliness. And if you're constantly turning to vices, you never actually get to the bottom of what's going on. And then this is why we see people who are stuck in the same stinking cycle. 
And you may be stuck in the same cycle yourself. You know, it's, I get into a relationship and it's dysfunctional and then I get into another relationship and it's the same kind of dysfunction and I have no idea what's going on in my life. And the reason you have no idea what's going on in your life is because you never stop and think about it long enough. You never sit and say, God, give me wisdom about what is going on right now. See, and if I'm fear-based, then I don't really want to know what's going on, do I? I'd rather just feel good right now. And then there's no endurance. It's inconsistent commitments. Because if I'm not sure about what's going on, I can't have self-control and I, I can't commit to this. Uh, Craig Rochelle is a pastor in Oklahoma City. He, said, he has a quote. I'm going to change it a little bit. I don't think he'd be mad at me. I'm just going to change one word. Uh, he says, successful people, I'm going to say godly people. He says that godly people do consistently what ordinary people do occasionally. I think that's so true. I mean, that, that, there's a guy in our Bible study. Uh, I talk about him often. His name is Phil. He goes to the church uh, of Nazarene. It's okay, we can all be wrong in one area, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I love Phil. Phil's an awesome guy. I want to be like Phil when I grow up. And everybody who ever comes into Bible study with me and Phil, uh, they're like, man, Phil is awesome. He just like drips Jesus. You know, it's, it's like, li- like having a living commentary with you in the room. I can't even explain it. You know, you can, you can say a word, you can say a verse and he'll go like, oh yeah, you know, and then quote the whole book of the Bible to you and give you the Hebrew words that go with it. And you're like, what is this guy? Uh, and yet he is so humble and he's so, like I've met smart guys in the Bible, but oftentimes they're kind of crusty and mean. You don't really like being around them. because like, oh, you don't know about Jesus like I know about Jesus. Evidently, they smoke also. Uh, but Phil is this, this mix of, of he, he loves Jesus and he actually loves like Jesus. This awesome guy. And as I think about Phil, Phil will tell you himself, like, it, it's not like he went to this program and over a week he became like Jesus. No, what Phil has done is for 10, 20, 30, 40, I don't know how old he is, so I'm not going to keep going. But for a long time... <laughs> Uh, for a long time, he has gotten up every morning and he's read his Bible. He's read books. He's prayed. He spent time serving people in the name of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't doing it once. It was doing it over and over and over and over and over again. That one day he woke up and everybody said, Whoa, you're a godly person. And he said, I am. Because <laughs> it was just degree after degree after degree because it was endurance. Because he actually believed what Jesus said was true. He actually had faith that this was the way his life was to go. You know, it's, it's just like somebody, I don't know why I'm doing so many exercise uh, things today. Maybe God's trying to tell me something. But uh, the laughter hurts back there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's just like a person who gets up and goes to the gym every day. Now, all of us, January 1st, you know, we're going to work out. We're going to do this. January 2nd, because January 1st is usually a rough day for people. Uh, (laughs) I'm just being honest, okay? January 2nd, uh, you you get up and you go to the gym. And, and, you know, if you're a a normal gym person, you're like, it's annoying, you know, because like all the machines that you usually use are taken by these people you know are going to be gone in like two weeks. and, and, you know, every, all of us can get up for two weeks. Like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. But the people who actually transform their bodies, their physical health, are the people who do it not just for a week, not just for a month, but they make it a lifestyle. They go consistently over and over and over again. And you better believe those people sometimes wake up at four in the morning on Thursday and it's been five months into this workout program and they don't feel good and they don't want to go to the gym. But guess what? They get up and they go to the gym because they believe in what they are doing. And it's those people that actually make a difference in their lives. The same is true in your spiritual life, friends. Do you actually believe Jesus has given you the pathway to godliness, the pathway to love? If you do, you will get up in faith in believing what he said every morning and do the things that you know will draw you closer to God. 
This is what Peter's trying to get at. And then it says, from endurance comes godliness. Endurance with godliness. Just what I said about Phil over and over and over again. Godliness. And then verse 7 says this. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. This is the kind of love that we are to have in, in, the, in the Christian family, in the church. Uh, but that word affection is uh, really important because it's some translations even say this. Brotherly kindness. And you see, when you're a person of faith, you pursue relationships that are kind. And in our culture, we've kind of put kind and nice together. We mean them the same, but they're actually very different words. Both are really important. But when you want to grow in your faith, you need kind people, not necessarily nice people. So if you look up the definition of nice, and I encourage you to do it after, nice is pleasant or agreeable. Some of you need to learn how to be nice, right? Like pleasant and agreeable is nice sometimes. A pleasant and agreeable person knows when to bite their tongue, like, I, some of you, you don't know how to be nice. Like, I can listen to somebody who I don't agree with politically, and I don't have to give my opinion. It's just amazing. Because I can be nice, right? Nice, pleasant, agreeable. That's really important. Kind is different. Kind is caring for a person. And how many of you know, sometimes to care for a person, you don't actually have to be nice to them. In fact, sometimes being pleasant and agreeable is not the kindest thing you can do for a person. See, because kind people will tell you the truth because they love you. And sometimes that's not always pleasant or agreeable. Sometimes that even causes relationships to break. When somebody has the, the courage, the gall to stand to you and tell you something that's going on in your life, you don't like to hear it. It's not pleasant or agreeable, but it's kind. I think the, the, the best way to illustrate this, I don't know, it sticks in my head. That doesn't always mean it sticks in your head. But in my head, this sticks out to me when I think about kind and nice. It's like you're, you're at a, a restaurant with your friend and you're eating salad and uh, salad gets stuck in their teeth. Uh, to, to me, that's just so awkward. Like, it's like, what do I do? Uh, because they're talking and, you know, the lettuce is there and they're having a great time, but they don't, they can't see what I see. And you have two options in that case. You can be nice and a nice person does what? This is what, this is what I do most of the time. I'm just nice. Like, I just, I make eye contact with them. I don't look at the lettuce. I think about the lettuce consistently. Like, oh my gosh, it's still there. Please get a drink of water. Please do something. And I just ignore it, right? And then they find out when they get in their car. You ever done this? I've, oh man, I hate this. You just had a, a great lunch with people and you get in the car and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh no. Thought they were acting weird around me. I had lettuce in my teeth the whole time. Uh, what a kind friend does and what I actually want my friends to do when I'm alone with lettuce in my teeth is to pull me aside and say, hey, Ah, uh, you got lettuce in your teeth. Because <laughs> then I can do something about it. But that's uncomfortable. Even to hear it, you're like, I'm an idiot. I have lettuce in my teeth, right? Now, lettuce in your teeth is one thing. When you are living a destructive lifestyle and you have a friend come and say, hey, you, your lifestyle is destructive. You're not loving your wife the way you should. You know, going down this this habit of what you're doing over here is not going to lead to healthy things. Like, I, I'm not a prophet, but I, I've seen where this leads and it's not going to lead you to healthy places. That is a kind friend. You see, if I live by faith, if, if I believe that God has placed everybody in my life on purpose for a purpose, I can take that. I can handle it. Because I already know I'm not godly. I already know that I need people to help me see the things in my life, the lettuce in my teeth that I don't see. Like I need a brother in Christ to say, hey, Blake, you're really good at talking, but I don't know if you notice this or not. When we're in Bible study, you just talk over people if you don't like what they're saying. Hey, Blake, you're really good at talking, but you don't do a very good job of listening. I need people to, to say those types of things to me because otherwise I'll never grow in godliness. I need kind people. But when I live out of fear, dread of the future, dread of not knowing how things are going to go, I don't want to hear those things. 
You know why? Because I feel like they just found me out. Like, I know I'm not okay. And I, honestly, we know our blind spots. When somebody calls them out to us, we get that feeling in our heart because we're like, oh, that is me. And if I don't have faith that God's working things out for my good, then I'm going to avoid those types of relationships. Why? Because they are very uncomfortable. And yet Peter says, if you start with faith, it ends in brotherly affection, brotherly kindness. And then the last thing, that kindness leads to ultimately brotherly affection with love. And that word love uh, is really important. The Bible, you might not know this in the New Testament, uh, uses four different words for love, which is actually really smart. Uh, in English, we use one word and it's way too much. Like in, in one sentence, I can say, I love burritos. And then in the next sentence, I love my wife. Uh, those really should be different words, right? Like I don't love my burrito like I love my wife. Uh, I love my burrito a lot. Burritos are delicious. Uh, but I'm not going to sacrifice for a burrito, right? I will sacrifice for my wife because I love her in that way. And so the Bible actually splits these up. And the love used here is the, the, like the pinnacle of love. It's called agape love. And usually when this word is used, it's not used about humans loving. It's, it's used like how God loves us. So Peter says that the ultimate end result of faith over time is that you will love like God loves. It's perfect, it's unconditional, and it's sacrificial. Friends, can you imagine, I and mean, this is a pipe dream, just imagine with me how different our world would be if we loved in this way. Like everybody, everybody loved in this way. We would never have world wars. We just wouldn't have it. Because the leader of one nation would look at a person from another country and not see themselves as superior. But they would say, I love them because they're in the divine image of God. I love them for who they are, and so I will not blow them up, even if it's beneficial to me, because this is a sacrificial love. Can you imagine how different your marriages would be? I mean, just, I know this is hard. My marriage, I, I can't love agape all the time. Not even close. Ask Taylor after. Just be careful what you ask for. Uh, uh, because if, if we were both pure and sacrificial in our love, we would, we would never argue. It'd be like a perfect, we'd argue about who's going to love each other more, you know? Like, let me open the door for you. No, I want to open the door for you. No, let me open the door. You know, like that would be the kind of marriage that we had. Can you imagine if we loved in this type of way? And yet, how do we normally love? How does the world normally love? It's a selfish love. I love you conditionally. I love you based upon what you are doing for me. Uh, I was just, I was struck by this as I was reading the news this, this last week. Uh, and I don't know all the details here, so I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. But it just, it, it made me think of a lot of things in the world. And uh, in Orlando or Flor- South Florida somewhere, there was a condo that, that collapsed. And uh, 90-something people have been confirmed dead, and it might be over 100 by the time they finish uh, finding the bodies. And there was some information that leaked out that the people who owned this condo maybe had some kind of information that the building needed to be restructured, that, that this could possibly happen. And I was just thinking, if, if, if we all had agape love, and I was the owner of this condo, I wouldn't care about the cost that incurred to me for the safety of the people who lived in that condo. Right? Like, it wouldn't matter. It would, like, you're going to lose all your... That's fine. We've got we to help these people because they're made in the image of God and I love them and I will sacrifice my own money for their sake. But how do we often live? Especially in this world where money is kind of king in our lives. Well, you know, could it wait a couple years? Could it maybe wait 10 years, 15 years? Because my spreadsheet says that if I do it now, I'm going to lose money. I'm going to end up in the red. And so I will conditionally love these people, but it's only when it benefits me. And see, the result of that is... Hundreds of people are dead. And there's so many stories like that, friends. The reason this world is corrupt is because we're selfish. The reason your life and some of your relationships aren't working is because there's selfishness in it. 
And you might say, well, it's the other person that's selfish. And I would just say, if you're human, I'm sorry, but there's two selfish people in the relationship because that's just the way it works. Some people are less selfish than others, but we've all, we've been wounded in our lives. And so this world teaches us that we must care for ourselves before we think of others. Because if you don't, you get hurt. And yet Jesus comes and he says, I offer you a new way. And the new way is to believe that I'm actually working for you. The new way is to believe with faith that it's all going to work out. And yes, you might lose money by redoing this condo and contextualize it for your life. But ultimately, in my kingdom, you gain. Ultimately, in my kingdom, I'm going to use this for my glory and for your good. So as we uh, close today, I want to close with verses 8 through the end here, 8 through 15. And we're going to talk about how do we build our faith? Because I want you to understand, I didn't give you anything to do there. Please don't leave here thinking, I've got to go try to do these things. The only thing I did there was show you the natural result of faith. Like if you drop a ball, it's going to go down because of gravity. You don't actually have to do the gravity part. It's not like I have to push the ball down. It just goes. If you have faith, the ball just goes. If you have fear, the ball just goes this way. So how do we actually build our faith so that these things can begin to happen so we can end in love? And here's what Peter says. Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember last week, it's like the guy who knows all about the car, but he never drives it. You don't want to be that guy. Verse 9, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So the first thing you need to do to build your faith, Christian brother or sister, uh, is to remember what God has done for you. Like remember what God has done. You say, like, I wouldn't forget that. You know, that seems pretty clear. And yet you do all the time. I do all the time. See, I, I, I maybe remember it up here, but it's not at the forefront of my mind and my heart, because if it was, I would live incredibly different. The, the gospel message of Jesus says that, that God looked upon us and he came, Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, took on flesh to live the life I could not live and to die the death I deserve to die. And then rose again three days later and he invites me into eternal life with him. See, and what happens to a lot of us as Christians is we can say that. But if I ask you, how does that actually apply to your Monday morning? You have no idea. And how it applies to your Monday morning is this. God is for you in the most possible way he could ever be for you. Right? Like he didn't just drop a plan down and say, here's what you humans do. No, he came and he did it for us. He invited us into it. And if I believe God would go through all of the pain and the work to do that, then how could I not believe that he also cares about my job that I just lost? How could I also not care, think that he cares about my health? See, if I believe the gospel, then I can believe and live this life with faith. So we've got to remember, and here's how we remember. We, we come to things like this and we hear people telling us. I'm telling you every week the same message. Why? Because you need to remember. It's why we pray. It's why we read our scripture. For me, people you know, sometimes ask about my, my scripture reading. And I try to read the whole Bible once in a year. Uh, and then what I really like to do is just take one of the Gospels, Gospel of John, Gospel of Mark, Luke. And I would honestly encourage some of you who don't read the Bible at all to start here and just read a little bit of it and just meditate on it. Read a chapter, read a couple verses over and over and over again. Because for me, when I do that, Jesus becomes very real to me. And as Jesus becomes more real to me, I experience him more and my faith grows in who he is and what he says is true. We've got to do these things. It's also why writing down what you're grateful for, what God has done in the past is so vital. Like literally scientists will tell you that this, this changes people's mental health. If they just write down three things they're grateful for from the past, that's so easy to do. If we just every morning we woke up and we said, God, thank you for what you did here, here, and here. These things of what God has already done builds my faith for 
what he will do. And then verse 10 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Number one was remember. Number two is actually live like you believe. Live like you believe what you say is true. You see what Peter says there? He says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Meaning, I say I believe Jesus is, uh, you know, is, is the true God of the universe. I say that I've been forgiven. I say that I can live without shame. I say that there's power to actually love people and see the world get better. So I actually have to then begin to take steps in living that way. And you all probably know what God wants you to do. Like, there's a next step. For some of you, it's like, you know, he just said that about the Bible. I need to try to start reading the Bible. I don't know what it is for you, but there's something. And what I'm telling you to do is begin to live like you believe it. Even if you don't feel like you believe it, you live like you believe it. And your feelings catch up eventually. And the good news about this is it says we will be uh, given entry into the kingdom that has already been provided for us. And I think a lot of us probably read that as like something that happens after we die. Right? Like, I get to go to heaven when I die. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Because Jesus says to Peter, Peter was there. He says, my kingdom is here now. That yes, the kingdom of God stretches beyond our earthly life. But the kingdom of God is here now, friends. Like, if you want to begin to walk in what it means to experience salvation, find peace, no purpose, live fulfilled, here's the secret. Begin to live like you believe. Like, there is actually, I believe Jesus makes your life better. And he makes you better at life. Now, your circumstances can all fall apart around you. But the peace of mind you will gain internally by living the way he says to live is priceless. That there is entry into the kingdom of God. And then verse 12, here's the final thing. You, you, you need people who will remind you and you need to remind other people. Look what Peter says, 12 through 15. Therefore, and Molly, you can go ahead and come up. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. Really, that's my job as your pastor. I'm always going to remind you, like we already know. I know you do. I'm always going to remind you of these truths. And then verse 13, it says, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. And we believe that's actually where we got the Gospel of Mark. That Peter, coming towards the end of his life, was like, I got to sit down and I got to get a written copy of this. So he sat down with John Mark and John Mark wrote out the stories of Peter. And we have a written accord of the gospel thousands of years later. Gospel of Mark is the first and the oldest gospel that we have. Because Peter said there's got to be people who are going to be reminded of this gospel for generations to come forward. And you see what happens when you take the time to help others remind them of the gospel and you have other people in your life who are reminded of the gospel, your faith is built. And as your faith is built, these characteristics, like a ball dropped in gravity, begins to build. So for some of you, I don't know what your next step is. Maybe it's to begin reading your Bible. For others of you, though, we uh, in August are going to start our family meals back up, which is just time where we come and eat and enjoy company and family with one another. And out of those, we're going to start uh, what we call DNA groups, these small groups uh, where you study a book or you do an activity together. And ultimately, the reason for the small groups is not so much for the participants, which I think is great, but it's to see some of you begin to lead. Because I want you to join me in the reminding of other people about the gospel. See, my job, I love it because it's great for me. <laughs> like getting up here and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ does so much for my own faith, I can't even explain it to you. And the reason I can't explain it to you is because you have to experience it, and I want you guys to begin to experience it. 
So that's me putting a little seed in your mind to begin to think about maybe God's calling me to lead a book study. Maybe God's calling me to lead some kind of prayer study or some kind of activity group. And if that's you, I'd love to hear about it and I'd love to help you. I want to resource you as you go on that journey. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is what gives us faith and that faith is what leads to love. If your world is corrupted and you want to make a difference in the world that is corrupted, the answer is not fear. The answer is faith, which leads to love. Friends, let me pray. Father, this message is so good. Not the message I'm preaching, but the message that's, that's right before me that I'm reading. God, I, just, I wish more of our world could, could understand it, to live from a place of faith and not live from a place of fear. God, I just can imagine how different the world would be. We'd be less selfish and we'd be more sacrificial in our love. Lord, and I pray for these people before me because I know even as a Christian, even as a person who believes in Jesus, <laughs> we have fear all around us. And it's so easy to begin to believe the message of fear. And yet, Lord, that never leads to the things we want. Lord, help us be people of faith, even when it looks like there's nothing around us that says we should be people of faith. Help us to believe not based upon what we've done, but based upon what's already been done through you. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing to this God. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.